y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 182. Okay, right off the bat, I had something that I was going to tell you, and then I said, I'll probably tell it on the podcast, so you said, wait, so mm-hmm. I have to tell you. I had totally forgotten that conversation that I we know, had I know. last night at dinner. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Not surprised. On Facebook, I got a message from a lady named Ashley, and she was like, hey, I have a question for you. You mentioned Keeling Road the other day, and my best friend in high school lived on Keeling. And so she said that she had a sister named Lori, and was Lori my mom? And I was like, uh, no, I had two older sisters, you know, blah, 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 blah. Come to find out, she was best friends with Susan. What? Yes. Donna's other sister. Yeah, Susan. my other sister. And so she said, yeah, that they were friends in high school. And she was like, we got into a lot of trouble together. I believe that 100%. 100. 100. And this was the day after we had recorded for Sinister Sightings. And I read the loss of the parent one. And yeah. like got me all choked up. Well, Ashley... When she messaged me, she was like, this has to be the Elwin I know. You know, Keeling Road, all of this, blah, 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 blah. And it was. But she said, and your mom, she was awesome and funny as hell. And oh my it God. just, like, it, I needed it, you know? Yeah. And that's what I told her. I was like, I needed that today so bad because she's on my mind, you know, and all of that. But isn't that weird how just out of the blue she made this connection, you know, and all of that. But then the day after we read that and all of that, well, then she also said that she has a story about my dad that's funny and romantic. And I was like, "Um, I need to hear that because I do not know that side of my dad at all. At all. I mean, like, we know him to be a little funny, but definitely not romantic. Definitely not romantic. Definitely not romantic. And it was to buy my mom roses. I was like, he bought her flowers? <laughs> At some point, they bought each other flowers? Well, not each other. Yeah. But, well, my mom did buy him a lot of plants later in life. I mean, it's just, it's the circle of life. <laughs> but I'm waiting on that story, so I'll let y'all know that one, too. But, uh, I don't know. It, it was so weird. And so, of course, I deep boop 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 called Susan and was like, do you know Ashley Blah? And she's like... Yeah. And I was like, so were y'all friends? And she was like, in high school? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, whew, we got in a lot of trouble together. And I was like, that's so funny. She listens to the podcast. She was like, no way. That is like, so yes. bizarre. Like, it's <laughs> such a small world. Yes. So, well, and I was thinking, when did I say Keeling Road? But it's when I was telling that story about my parents and all of them living on that road, having friends and like neighbors. Yeah. They were all watching a scary movie. Yes. And one yes, of them yes. waited outside and until he knew it was going to be, you know, like, yes. Uh, 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 and he like hit the window or the side of the house or something and scared everyone, including like, you know, the macho men yeah. kind of thing. But that was it. And oh I don't, God. I was like, what are, what's the chances that I just said like the an off, road? Yeah, like an off the cuff comment. Yeah. And I don't know. I was just like, I needed that. I so needed that. I love that. Yes, me too. So thank you so much, Ashley, for one, listening, two, for putting up with my sister, and three, for reaching out. And 
four putting up with her sister and five. But no, no I'm just kidding. We love you, Susan. <laughs> Susan doesn't listen to this podcast. I know, but uh, just in case she goes back and tells her, <laughs> I know how mean your sister can be. <laughs> I know the Elwins. So, true, true JK. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> nudge, nudge. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I know Donna's super thankful for that story from Ashley, but we're both thankful for Patreoners. So thank you so much, Artemis G. from Australia. That was terrible, <laughs> but we're leaving it. Okay. <laughs> Robin L. from Mississippi. Sharon S. from Virginia. Heather N. from Massachusetts. Jen P. from Texas. Shelly L. from Texas. Okay. Okay, take a breath. <laughs> Tracy Y. from... <laughs> that sounded like I had hot breath. Gross. <laughs> Tracy Y. from Pennsylvania. And Karen B. from Missouri. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And it should be noted that Halloween is just around the corner. Halloween. Halloween. Remember that? (laughs) Oh my God, yes. That was because one time I accidentally listened to something on 2.0. And when I said Halloween merch, it did that (laughs) because I was on 2.0 on accident. So oh, funny. God. Okay. I wonder what that sounds like when I do that on 2.0. Because I oh know some gosh. people listen to us on 2.0. How? I don't know. And I listen to everything fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back to Halloween. So we are doing 31 Nights of Halloween again this year. So that means that there is going to be something every single day. Now, that may mean that it's a Facebook Live on the Facebook group. That may mean that it's something coming out on the main feed. That may mean that it's going to be something that's Patreon exclusive. So if you want all of the spooky dookie, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast so that you get it all for October. Oh, I want it. I'm going to need you to do it. <laughs> You know you keep this ship alive, afloat, whatever the saying is. Yeah, you'd be Rose, not letting me up. I went straight to Rose Nyland, and I did not understand that, because that is <laughs> one character I do not identify with. <laughs> no! And so I went straight to Golden Girls, and I was like, that makes no sense. But you went to the Titanic. Yes. Which made perfect sense. Yes, ship afloat. Okay, so my story this week, of course, this has been the theme for me for I don't know how many weeks, But this story was recommended by an awesome creepster named Amanda M. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Amanda, for recommending this one. We'll see if y'all thank Amanda after we tell this terrible story. Right. I was about to say, I'm holding my judgment just like with Zoe's recommendation last time. Yeah, this one's one's pretty bad, too. (laughs) Just, Just get ready. Lovely. Picture it. March 24th, 1987. The Philadelphia Police Department gets a phone call. I literally thought you were going to say the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> well, Football season. Do you want to know how many times it says North Philadelphia? And I went, when West Philadelphia, border. <laughs> like, the whole time I was working on that, the story, I've been singing that song. Oh, gosh. Okay, sorry. Back to the police. Okay. The police get a phone call. Now, I will say... A couple of things I listened to about this said that someone stopped the police, but like every other article says that they get a call. Like, do boop, 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 911. The lady on the phone tells police that she has been held captive for four months. And at first, police are like, what? 
you know, didn't really believe her, didn't really know anything, but they come check it out. And when they get there, they see this woman who is clearly shaken up. And she tells the police that her name is Josefina Rivera and that she has been held in a basement for four months by a guy named Gary Heinick. Oh, and uh, by the by, there are three women still in the basement. Oh, shit. And so Josefina tells the police that he's actually waiting for her to come back because he thinks that she just went to see her family. Wait, what? We'll get there. Okay. Then she says that there were two other women besides her and the three that are still in the basement that had been killed in that four months. So six women total. So police go to Gary Heidnick's house, knock on the door, and he comes out and he's like, what's this all about, officer? I didn't pay my child support. Oh, gosh. That says so much right there. The police thought they smelled something funny. So they went into the house. When they go into the basement, they find that there are two women laying on mattresses and one is naked from the waist down and both of them are badly bruised. Both of them also have shackles with a long chain on their ankles and they start to look around the basement a little more and they see that there is this wooden board with some bags on top of it that are filled with dirt. So they remove the bag and pull that board away. And under that board, they found a hole. And inside that hole was another woman with her hands handcuffed behind her back and her ankles shackled just like the other women. Oh my gosh. The police continue to search the house and inside the kitchen, they find six plastic bags. And inside those bags were human body parts. In the kitchen? This is a story of Gary Heinick and how he kidnapped six women and ended up killing two of them. Gary Heinick was born in Cleveland, Ohio. He had a younger brother named Terry. His parents got divorced in 1946, and he and his brother lived with his mother for about four years before she lost custody, and he went to live with his father. As much as we hate Gary, I think it's important to talk a little bit about his abuse and the way he was raised. So, well, even though he does terrible, terrible things, he still has his own story and he was still a victim. That until doesn't, he wasn't. Well, that doesn't negate all the bad things he's done, but... Absolutely. It does, I mean... It helps paint a picture and it helps us understand people so that we can pre- hopefully prevent things like this in the right. future. Especially when they have criminal records and that kind of thing. Because I think that that helps parole boards and that sort of thing decide who should get out and who shouldn't when you see, okay, did this person have this criminal record? What did they do? How can those crimes escalate? That kind of thing. So Gary had a history of bedwetting. And I'm talking a long history. Apparently, even into adulthood, had difficulty with bedwetting. And his father, instead of comforting his son or helping him come up with solutions such as, you know, maybe wake him up in the middle of the night, take him to the back, you know, all these things, you know, put a diaper on him, whatever, whatever you do with kids. His dad chose humiliation as a route of punishment. His dad would take his soiled sheets and literally hang them in the window so that 
all the people in the neighborhood, all his little friends could see. Oh, oh my goodness. That is horrible. Terrible. Also, the smell. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now, clearly, we know that Gary gets arrested because, you know, uh, you just heard the beginning of the story. And his dad denied these abuse allegations after his arrest when all this kind of came out. Of course. But there is a lot of mental health issues in this family that didn't only include Gary. It included his brother and his mother as well. And, I mean, if his dad was doing that kind of stuff, his dad too. Mm, True. Apparently, Gary had an IQ of like 148 when he was a kid. And he did pretty well in school, but it was his socialization that he had the most trouble with. He didn't have a lot of friends and he often got bullied because apparently he had fallen when he was a kid and hit his head. Uh oh! I know these are like wet in your bed and a head injury, like two of the hallmark things for him to become a killer later in life. But it misshapened his head. And so allegedly he got teased for that. But as an adult, his head shape was typical. So I don't know if that really happened. I don't know if he just kind of grew into his head, question mark. I'm not sure. Okay. He wanted to go in the military because he wanted to go to West Point. And eventually he dropped out of high school and did join the military when he was 17. And while he was at Army basic training, he excelled. Like literally, they graded him as excellent. However, he wanted to be in more specialized positions, such as the military police, but they rejected him. So he ended up getting transferred to Germany, having gone through some medical training. He was basically like a medic, and he hated his post. He hated being in Germany. He hated being a medic. He just wasn't going to fucking have it. So he started disobeying every single order he could so that he would get discharged from the military. He called in sick a lot. He would say he's got headaches, blurred vision, you know, all these things. And then he started acting as if he had schizophrenia. Some stuff said that he was diagnosed at the time with schizophrenia. Some stuff said he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. Either way, he got an honorable medical discharge from the Army. Now, eventually, he was a licensed practical nurse, so an LPN. And this is, you know, after military. And he worked as a psychiatric nurse, but he was fired because he was an asshole to the patients. I picture Ben Stiller's character from Happy Gilmore. Eventually, in 1970, his mom died by suicide from drinking mercuric chloride. So basically, she poisoned herself. But they say that this is like a really difficult way to pass. This is like a death by antifreeze. You know, when you hear people dying by that type of poison, it's this kind of tends to be a longer, painful process. And this was a painful process for her as well. And from 1962 until the 80s, Gary attempted suicide 13 times. Golly. So he was in and out of psychiatric hospitals. And eventually, the whole nursing shtick didn't work. And this was about a year after his mom died by suicide. He decided, okay, I have attempted to die by suicide 13 times. My mom's died. Like, there's a better purpose in life for me. There's a reason that I'm still here. And so he decided to form a church called the United Church of the Ministers of God, a.k.a. a cult. Oh, my gosh. This story literally has everything. I was about to say, I did not see that coming. So Gary really was smart. 
and good with money, made good investments. And he started this church with $1,500. And eventually, by the time of his arrest, he had $500,000 in the bank. Holy shit. Yes. Um, can I make a call to him just to get some information? Well, I mean, this is like 1980s money, too, you know? Goodness. Look, I don't care if people write manifestos and all in jail, but could he have written some financial how-tos? Right. And, you know, eventually there were only like five members of the church, and I think it grew to like 50 members. Wow. In September of 1985, he married a lady by the name of Betty Disto, and she was from the Philippines. Like, they used like a marital service type thing to put them together, and she came over from the Philippines. That's pre-90 Day Fiancé? Yes. Well, of course, this didn't last. She literally caught him in bed with three other women. Oh, oh. Yeah, because Gary frequented sex workers. Okay. He would force Betty to watch him while he had sex with other people. No. Mm -mm. Content and trigger warning for this story because it has a lot of sexual assault in it. Gary continuously raped and beat Betty. But eventually she got some help from the Filipino community in Philadelphia and she left him. They had actually had a son together. And so that's kind of what he was talking about of, oh, did I miss the child support payment? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only kid he had. So he had another son that was placed in foster care immediately after his birth. And then he had a daughter with this lady who had an intellectual disability. So what Gary would do is, like I said, he frequented sex workers, but he would also have sex with people with lower IQs. And you'll see that come up again later. Okay, so the woman that he had the daughter with, Anjanette Davidson is her name. But right after their daughter Maxine was born, this was in 1978, okay? So I'm kind of like jumping around a little bit on dates. So forgive me, kind of just, just go with it. He was arrested because he kidnapped and raped Anjanette's sister, Alberta. Oh, my gosh. So, basically, Alberta was in a mental institution, and she was out on day leave. He basically kept her locked in a storage room in his basement and raped and beat her. He let her go. And when she was found, they took her to the hospital, and they found that she had been raped, sodomized, and contracted gonorrhea from him. Whoa. So he was arrested. He was charged with kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person. Wow. And he got out of jail. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So his original sentence... And I'm finding a lot of this. There was this, like, Commonwealth versus Gary Heinick that that had all this outlined. So I'm getting basically all this information that I'm telling you right now came from that. So his sentence was overturned, and he only spent three years incarcerated. But it was in a mental institution. And wow. then, yeah, they released him under supervision of a state-sanctioned mental health program. So basically, they were like, go to outpatient therapy. Right. But you're you're fine. You're free other than that. Oh, right. my gosh. Right. So that was in 78. 86, you know, 
that's when he was married to Betty. And he was arrested again and charged with sexual assault, indecent assault, spousal rape, and involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. Oh, my gosh. A lot of the same things. I see a theme here. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I never found what came of that arrest for spousal rape. But very shortly after that, on November 26, 1986, we're going back to Josefina. She had just gotten in a fight with her boyfriend, so she left the apartment, and she decided to go down and see if she could make some money because the next day was Thanksgiving, and she wanted to be able to afford to have a nice spread for her family. Josefina had a few kids, I think two, well, three, but one of them was just like brand new baby newborn, but I only saw that one place. Anyway, so Josefina, when she was going out, she was going to work as a sex worker. Well, she had been out there for a while. She had made some money, but it wasn't quite as much as she wanted. So she's like, okay, I'm going to stick this out. Like there's going to be somebody come around. So she's walking back and forth and no cars show up and it's getting colder. It's starting to get rainy. And she's like, fuck, just hold out. Like, you know, pack it in in just a little while, but hang out. Come on, let's, you know, stay a little bit longer so you can get that turkey. Well, eventually this pretty new white Cadillac Coupe de Ville pulls up and she's like, okay, okay, who's this? So she walks up to the car, he rolls down the window and he asks her if she's hustling and she's like, yep. So they talk about, you know, what he wants, how much the deal is struck and she gets in the car. Normally she conducts her business in the car or in like an alleyway pretty close by. But this guy said that he wanted to take her home, but he had a quick stop that he had to take. And Mm -hmm. then take her home. And I was like, oh, this is when it's going to get bad. But he just went to McDonald's and like got a coffee. They were just kind of sitting there. Super awkward silence. She tried to ask him some questions. He just said his name was Gary. It's like, you know, when they first met, he said his name was Gary. And I think she introduced herself as like Nicole or something. But then when they went to McDonald's, you know, she's sitting there with it being so quiet. And and so she's like, what's your name? You know, trying to like talk to him because he was just being real weird. And he told her that his name was Gary Heidnick. So that's how she knew his name, too. Well, eventually, he finished his coffee, and he's like, all right, let's go to my house. I wonder if he bought her something. No, he didn't. (gasps) Rude. Yeah. It's funny that you asked that, because everything was like, he didn't even offer to buy her something. Wow. But honestly, she was just happy to be out of the cold and out of the rain. Oh, for sure. You know, something even said, like, get, got in the car and the heat was full blast. You know, she was like, oh, it's so warm. My eyes would burn. Well, we're talking Philly in November. Like, it's yeah, freezing, yeah. freaking cold. Well, they get to his house and she's like, this is a fucking dilapidated old house. Yeah, uh, you came with a coupe, and what is this? Right, and she sees a 1971 Rolls-Royce in the garage. What? So she's like, this guy is kind of an enigma. Like, he's uh-huh. got, he had a really fancy watch on, but his clothes were, like, gross. And then he comes in this nice car, has a freaking Rolls, even if it's a 71, it's a freaking Rolls-Royce. I mean, it's like... 15 years old, you know, at this moment, but it's a fucking Rolls Royce. But then this house is dilapidated and there's shit all in the yard and it's just gross. Mm -hmm. So she's like, this is so weird. But they get there, they go inside and they have sex on his waterbed. I know. I just had to throw that in there. Oh my God. But she notices there's like pennies glued to the wall and like 
in the hallway, there's like money on the wall instead of wallpaper. Like she's like, that's some weird fucking wallpaper. Oh, that's what money. What in the Willy Wonka is going on? Yeah, so it's just just bizarre. You know he was one of those people who would glue down a quarter to see how many people would try to bend over and pick it up. Oh, I also want to say this. When they first got to the house, he had a really weird-looking key to open the door. And she even asked him, like, that's a weird-looking key. Like, what the fuck? And what he did was he cut his key in half. So one half stays in the door, and he has the other half. So he's literally the only person that can open his door. Damn. Also, did you ever do that with the the quarter? No. Of course you would. <laughs> yes, of course. We had the money on the string, too. Me, my mom, and, and my brother. And that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> my mom and my sister had that store. Mm-hmm. And she had glued down a quarter up there. And people tried all the time. <laughs> Color me fucking surprised. <laughs> So after they had sex, she's standing up and getting dressed when all of a sudden Gary starts choking her. And she's like, please, 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 like, stop. Like, she can't stop him. So she's just trying to beg for her life. Eventually, he stopped strangling her. She didn't pass out or anything, but he puts her arms behind her and puts some handcuffs on her wrists. He pushes her down the stairs and into the basement. At this point, she only has on underwear and her shirt, and she's in this cold, damp basement, and she's like sh- like shivering, shaking, because she's so fucking cold. She's screaming, asking for help, and he wants her to be quiet, obviously, so he starts beating her with this piece of wood. Fuck. Eventually, she stops screaming, and... He attaches what they called were like muffler clamps or clips, but basically those big metal clamps around her ankles and puts the chain on it and puts that to like a basically like a post that he had in the basement. Then he takes glue to the bolts of the metal clamps on her legs so that she cannot get out of it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She said he even used a hairdryer to to like speed up the glue process. So, there she is. She's laying on this nasty, soiled mattress. Oh, no, no, no. And he gets her, you know, attached to this post and, you know, finishes with his fucking glue experiment. And he's like, sit up. So, she sits up and he just like lays his head in her lap and falls asleep. What? Well, eventually, she dozes off too. And when she wakes up, she finds that he's gone. But she sees that there's like this little light coming through the window. So she knows, okay, she's in the basement. She can kind of see what's going on. And she sees that in the basement, there's this small hole or pit that had been dug. Eventually, Gary comes back and she's starving. And he has an egg sandwich and a glass of juice for her. And she's like, oh, thank God I'm starving. Like, it's Thanksgiving. Like, Give me all the food. And then she's like, wait, is this fucking poison? So she refuses to eat it. Gary starts digging that hole more, like making it bigger. And he starts talking to her, telling her about how he wants these kids. Apparently, there was there was someone who had gotten pregnant by him and had an abortion. And it's almost like that was like the catalyst. In my brain, that's the mm-hmm. catalyst that kind of set this off. 
I mean, obviously, he had a really bad history of rape and, you know, all these different sexual assaults. But the kidnapping women so that they can bear his children, I don't know, just in my head, that seemed to be the catalyst for what he did. It does seem to correlate. So Gary is white and Josephina and all of the women that he kidnaps are black. And so some stuff said he wanted to basically like create this perfect child, this perfect race of children. And he told Josephina he wanted to have basically a cult of women and children on this farm that just kind of went with him, you know, mm-hmm. kind of went along with the cult he was already developing. Yeah. Well, eventually he left her alone and she realizes she can kind of pry some of this stuff loose, like the stuff around her ankles and all of that. And the chain will reach to the window. So she goes to the window and she's able to lift herself like halfway out of the window and scream for help. Like she's like screaming. Now this neighborhood is pretty shady. So people are like, I don't know what that bitch is screaming about. Like, I know that sounds terrible, but they're like completely fucking ignoring this person who's literally screaming for their lives, like in fucking broad daylight. Mm -hmm. Well, Gary, of course, hears her, pulls her back inside, throws her into that hole that's very tiny at this point. So she's like having to like squat almost in the fetal position. And then he throws that plywood that I told you was over the hole before throws that on top of her, and then puts all those weighted bags on top of that. Oh, no, no, no. So she's like crouched down, Uh -uh. barely fitting, can't breathe because she has all this weight on her. And she says that what he did was he turned very fucking Ariel Castro of him, turns on like hard rock, like screaming Uh at you music of the 80s so that nobody can hear her. They hear and think it's the music. Yeah, yeah. But she says, based on the radio, she knows that she was crouched in that position with all that on her, barely being able to breathe, cramping all that for 27 hours. Holy fuck. While she's in the pit, she starts to hear something and she's like, is that a woman's voice? And it is. It's a woman by the name of Sandra Lindsay. And Sandra goes by Sandy. So, apparently, Sandy and Gary had had a sexual relationship in the past. Also, Sandy has an intellectual disability. So, at first, when Josephina comes out of the pit and she sees this other woman who's also naked, except for just a shirt, and chained to the same pipe that she was, she's like, oh, fuck. But Sandy, because of her intellectual disability, it's like she doesn't understand what's happening. Like that's so sad. Yes, yeah, she basically, she basically pulls a Brandon Dassey and is like, "Okay, cool, I'll do all this, but um, when I go home later and yada yada yada." Like she doesn't understand. Yeah. That, no, you're maybe you're stuck. Oh. So eventually, Gary leaves them alone, and they start talking, and they introduce themselves, and Sandy tells Josephina that they had met at guess what, the Elwin Institute. What E L. W-Y-N. Oh, fancy. This is a place for people with mental and physical impairments. And that's how she met Gary. And again, they had had like an on and off sexual relationship. Well, remember how I said that someone had had an abortion that I think is what triggered it? 
that someone was Sandy. Oh, gosh. Bless her heart for having to go through that because she probably didn't comprehend what was going on there either. Well, eventually, Sandy starts realizing, okay, this is what's happening. From there, that's kind of where things turned. So at first, he would give them just dry crackers and bottled water that first day. And then the next morning, he gave them oatmeal. And then right after they ate, they heard a knock on the door. And they're like, oh, shit. Okay, who's this? Who's this? Somebody's going to find us. Like, we're out of here. And then at the door is Sandy's sister and two cousins. And, oh my gosh. Yes. And they know that Gary knows her. And yeah. so they're like, hey, have you seen Sandy? And he, of course, is like, no, I haven't. Uh. So there they, off they go. And it was like so close. She was right there. So he ends up making Sandy write a note to tell her mother, like, hey, I've gone away. I'll be in touch soon. So things start, of course, escalating more. And he becomes more controlling, meaner. He is raping them both daily and forcing the other one to watch. Police are looking for Sandy, but here's the thing. She is a marginalized population in fucking every way. She's got an intellectual disability, and she is a black woman. Her family tell police that they think that she's being held by a man named Gary. But they don't know anything other than his name is Gary, his phone number, and where he lives. Which you think is a good bit of fucking information. I was about to say, who needs a last name when you know where he lives? Well, the police called and go to the house. And, of course, Gary doesn't answer the fucking door. Well, then her mom shows the police the letter that she got from her. And they're like, oh, she's just a runaway. Don't worry about it. Ugh. So at this point, remember, Josefina was kidnapped the day before Thanksgiving. It was like November 26th. So the two of them have been living there. Now we're at Christmas. And they have been living there, being beat, being raped. They were not allowed to take showers. They were not allowed to comb their hair. They weren't allowed to brush their teeth. They weren't allowed to use a bathroom No, 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 no. They had like a little area where they were allowed to use the bathroom, but if it like overflowed, they would get in trouble. uh, Yeah. Oh my God. And their punishments would be going into the pit and that small little area, which he had widened it some, like made it a little bit bigger when there became two of them, but it's still very, very small. Fuck. Well, now we're three days before Christmas. And Gary is on the lookout for another girl. Because remember, he has said he wants like 10 women having all of his kids. He sees 19-year-old Lisa Thomas. So Lisa was out walking and he pulls up in his Cadillac, rolls the window down, and basically is like, you hustling kind of thing. And she's like, fuck you. No, I'm not. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. You want, well, you just want to ride? Like, where are you going? You need to ride. It's it's cold outside. And she's like, yeah, actually, I'm going to my friends. I got to pick something up. And he's like, okay, get in. So he actually takes her over to the friend's house. She goes in, gets what she needs, comes back out, gets back in the car with him. 
And when she's back in the car, he's like, hey, why don't we go out to eat? And she's like, all right. So they go, they eat. And he's like, you know, we should go to Atlantic City. And she's like, well, I don't have anything to wear to Atlantic City. He's like, it's okay, it's okay. Gives her a $50 bill and takes her to Sears so that she can buy clothes. So she's like, hook, line, and fucking sinker. What in the Richard gear is going on here? Girl, I was just about to say, okay, pretty woman. Except she's not a sex worker. Right. But still, she's like, okay, okay, this is so... Fuck yeah. So she gets her clothes and eventually she goes back to his house, drinks some wine with him. They're watching a movie and she's getting really sleepy. Oh no. But I don't think that he drugged her because some stuff says that the medication mixing with her allergy medicine. I don't know. But I don't think that he actually drugged her. But eventually she did fall asleep. And when she wakes up, she realizes that she's naked. And as soon as she's kind of coming to, he takes her upstairs and rapes her. So after he rapes her, she's like, okay, okay, I can get out of this. Like, let me get up, put her clothes on. She's like, can you just take me back to my friend's house? Like, it's fine. Like, just take me back to my friend's house. And after that, he starts choking her just like he did Josefina. Again, she does the same thing. Like, okay, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. And he stops choking her, handcuffs her, and takes her downstairs just like he did Josefina. So he takes her down to the basement, takes the plywood off so that he can introduce them. And he tells them, okay, I'm going to make y'all sandwiches. But before I do, we've got to, quote, indoctrinate Lisa. What the fuck? So he forces her to perform oral sex on him, like in front of Josefina and Sandy, and then chains her up just like the other two. Ten days after that, Gary kidnaps Deborah Hudley. Now, she was only 23, and we don't know much about the kidnapping of Deborah. But when he gets her into the house and he gets her chained up like the rest of the girls, she is putting up a fucking fight. She's the one that's basically vocalizing what everybody else is thinking. And he's not having that. Any way that she could disobey him, air quotes around that, she would. And he would try to beat her into submission. But eventually, because she was so outspoken and not going with the flow with him, and he did start changing some of his ways. Like, he brought in a portable toilet. And he started allowing them to take showers. And so, some of her absolutely fucking was actually helping the women holy shit now that doesn't mean that things got better right 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 right. what he would do is he basically had a pecking order for the women one would be in charge and if one of the other women quote acted up the one in charge would have to beat the other one and if they didn't quote do a good enough job then he would beat them all Yeah, that's so fucked up, and that's so hard for those ladies. Yes. I mean, so it's like you're forced to do the unthinkable to save everybody. So then on January 18th, Gary goes out again in search of another victim. This time, he comes back with Jacqueline Askins. She is only 18 years old, and she was a sex worker, and so that's how he picked her up. And just like before... Had sex with her, 
dragged her in the basement, we know is Emma. Jacqueline was so tiny, like she was such a tiny 18-year-old that the shackles were too big for her legs. Wow. So he had to use handcuffs on her legs. Holy shit. So that day, he went all out. He bought Chinese food for everybody and a bottle of champagne. And you know why? I was just about to ask why, though. Because it was Josefina's birthday. Wow. She was kind of becoming his favorite. Because remember, like I said, she's fucking smart. She's like, okay, if I'm going to get out of this, if I'm going to save fucking all of us, I have to win some favor Mm -hmm. with him so I get more privileges. Because the more he liked you, the better you acted based on his rules that I'm sure changed all the time. Mm -hmm. The better you acted the more privileges you had. And then the worse you acted, the more time you had to stay in the pit, the more time you got punished. And his punishments included pretty bad things. Like what he would do was he would basically hang the women up by one arm. No. Like it would be just enough that their feet weren't really touching Mm -hmm. and they were just hanging up by their one arm. No. He would take food away. I mean, there were a lot of times that they were just eating bread and water. Like, it was not like, I mean, sometimes they got lucky and they got like a ham sandwich. But most of the time, it's just fucking bread. So, it's not like they were getting this amazing food. These women were starving. Yeah. Well, eventually, one time, Sandy, quote, disobeyed and made Gary angry. So, he tied her up with the arm, you know, holding her up. She was up there for a week. A week? A week. How? How? Well, she starts throwing up, running fever. She's not eating. He's like shoving food down her throat. And she's like, no, I'm not. I'm not eating it. Like she would keep her mouth shut. She wouldn't swallow it. All the things. Well, after about a week, like I said, she was up there a week. Towards the end of that week, she like loses consciousness. Because she's, yeah, because she's been hanging up there, not eating. And the women are like, is she dead? So he unlocks her handcuffs. And as soon as he does, she literally just drops to the floor, like hits her head, like drops to the floor. And she was, in fact, dead. No. And his response was basically like, damn, because he thought she was pregnant. Like, it had nothing to do... Wow. Yeah, it had nothing to do with the fact that she was dead. It was like, damn, I think she was pregnant. Wow. Gary takes Sandy's body upstairs, and eventually the women hear him dismembering her body. Oh, I was going to say a chainsaw? Yeah. Yes. Ugh. In fact, Lindsay said a chainsaw. Those terrify me in haunted houses all the time. And you know there's no chain on them. Like, there's... Yeah, but because that's my example. Like, is that not the perfect setup for a scary movie? Uh-huh. To be like, oh, they went to a haunted house, and here's a guy chasing them with a chain. But little did they know, there was actually a fucking chain on there. Me too. Okay, so what he does is he actually takes some of the girls upstairs and forces them to help him Dismember the body. Oh, gosh. Because now he thinks he's got them because they're complicit. They're mm-hmm. helping him. They're part of this. So if he goes down, they go down. Well, he... Okay, this is this is pretty gruesome. So if you need to fast forward, fast forward. Sorry, a second ago, I said Lindsay, and I definitely meant Lisa. Well, eventually, 
he takes some of the like meat and flesh, grinds it up in a food processor, and like mixes it with his dog's food. <gasps> no. He boils her head and cooks her ribs in the oven. What? Yep. Well, eventually, because there were some times where he would let the women watch TV. Somebody said, like, damn, that they're so hungry, that dog food on TV looks good. So, Deborah, being the more boisterous one, she says that, well, the girl said that that dog food on TV looks good enough to eat. Like, basically, we're so fucking hungry. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah? And he goes upstairs to get his dog food. No, 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 not that dog food. That dog food. Not that dog food. That dog food. Oh, no, 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 no. And he feeds it to them. Oh, God. Not all of them. Not all of them are forced to eat it, but a a couple of them are. So, not long after that, Deborah is still kind of acting out. Well, one of the other things that Gary would use to punish them is when he would force them into the pit, he would fill it with water some. No. Just a little bit. Not all the way. And then take electrical wire and like stripped it so he could like leave part of it plugged in uh-huh. and then put the other part to their shackles while they were in the water, which we know oh conducts electricity. Yes. Well, after Deborah had been acting up, he had had enough of it. And so he puts her in to do that form of torture and, you know, his behavior modification. Well, one of the girls are like, she's face down in the water. And he's like, she's fine. It's fine. Keep going. Because, see, he made Josephina help him with this. Mm. And so this created a bit of a rift between the women. Because Josephina is, like, having to help him with this. But she's also, I feel like, not acting so much. Like, she hates it because, again... She's trying to get in his good graces right. so that she gets more freedoms. More freedoms equals a chance to get the fuck away, mm-hmm. i.e. save everybody. He ends up looking in the pit, and sure enough, Deborah was dead from the electrocution. And just the way he would do the women, he reached in, grabbed her by her hair, and pulled her out of the pit. Ugh. Every time the women were in the pit and he wanted them out, that's how he pulled them out, mm. by their hair. Fuck. So, Gary made Josephina help him hide Deborah's body. And then, after they hid Deborah's body, Gary made Josephina help him kidnap the last woman, Agnes Adams, who was about the same age as Sandra, Sandy, and Josephina. Because Josephina was 25 at the time, Sandra was 24, and Agnes is 24 as well. And Deborah was 23. I don't know if I ever said that. So, because Josephina helped him kidnap Agnes, he said, okay, you know what? Since you've been so good today, I'm going to let you go visit your family tomorrow. And she's like, okay, what? Right, what? So, he takes her to a gas station, and she's like, okay, wait for me here. And she walks a block away, and that's when she calls 911. Because, you know... Did she have a chance to get away when they were hiding Deborah's body? Yep. Did she have a chance to get away when they were abducting Agnes? 
Yep. But was that the best time for her to do it? Nope. Because what happens if he got home Mm -hmm. before she got police there and he killed every single one of those women? And that's what she was thinking. And so when she was able to safely get away and call police, that's when she was able to save everyone. So we know from there, she called 911. The police went to the house. They arrested him. And at first, he tried to plead, like, insanity. Nope. And there were even some people that thought Josephina should have been charged as well because they were like, is she a victim or is she an accomplice? And it's like, no, she's a fucking victim. She's a fucking survivor. Because she did exactly what she had to do to survive that situation and save everyone. Mm -hmm. No, she's fucking smart as shit. Yes. Long story short, he was convicted and sentenced to the death penalty. All of the women ended up getting like a $30,000 settlement out of his money. Hell yes. Of course, the insanity plea did not fly. They were like, nope, you're competent to stand trial. You knew what you were doing. And he was actually the last person sentenced to death in Pennsylvania before they put a moratorium on all the executions. Oh my gosh. He had, for his last meal, two slices of cheese pizza and two cups of coffee. He had no last words, and he was sentenced to death on July 6, 1999. And these poor women who survived this horrible four months. You know, Josephina had had a history of, well, a a few of the women had actually had a history of substance abuse and working, you know, as a sex worker. They actually went back, Josephina specifically, went back to sex work for about a year after because she was so lost. Mm -hmm. You know, she had gotten back into the drugs and she could not cope. And eventually she kind of realized what was going on. And she was like, I wasn't, she was like, I didn't trust anybody, even like the Johns and stuff. She was, had such a hard time even working as a sex worker because she didn't try, like everything was like, he's mm-hmm. going to kidnap me. He's going to do this. And they all have PTSD and all of that from Josephina said that, you know, she couldn't even hear leaves crunching because of how the leaves sounded as they walked out into the woods to hide Deborah's body. Gosh. And a manhole being uncovered, it was reminded them of the pit. And, and you know, at this point, Josephina's reconnected with her kids. She's got grandkids. She's got a, a new, you know, long-term boyfriend that she's happy with. But she says she still, to this day, can't watch handcuffs and stuff on TV because it's mm. triggering to her. Yeah. And so, you know, these poor women are just doing the best that they can to survive this. But that's the story of the women that Gary Heinrich kidnapped and murdered. Wow. Wow. I, wow. I know. Such a heartbreaking story. And I've never heard this. Me either. It gave me a lot of like Ariel Castro vibes. A lot. About how just like nasty the house was and like the, how nasty the area was that they were kept and how they weren't allowed to take showers. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until, you know, Deborah came in that she was like, fuck this. I want to shower that he started letting them shower and, that's how it was with Ariel Castro. He mm-hmm. wouldn't let them shower until he got his favorite, who was like, I yeah. want to shower. And the one that gave him the kid. And, you know. Uh-huh. Wow. Wow. I, I, I have no words for this one. Ugh. I like how you did it, too. Like, how you started the story midway through. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was good. Thanks. 
there's a bunch of podcasts on this and, you know, YouTube videos and all of that. There's some, there's a YouTube video that has Josephina telling her story and it's not the whole thing. Like it kind of cuts to different parts, mm-hmm. but I think she's written a book. Like there's a ton of information on this. I, d- I know I did not cover everything. There was even, I think, one guy that was a member of his cult that I think was arrested too, because maybe he was there for some of it, but that was never clear. And I didn't see that in a lot of documents. So, you know, there's, so that's why I say there's a ton to this story that I haven't even touched. Yeah. Wow. Hey, and no family relations in this one. He just wanted a family. He sure did. Mm. I know. I was like, this one's really heavy. I've done a lot of heavy ones lately, but, but no incest. So yeah, it's, it's a change. Oh, okay. One more thing. Sorry. As we're about to get into your story, I completely forgot to say. So you know how on Silence of the Lambs, is it one lamb or two lamb? I can never remember. I think think it's it's two. two. Anyway. Or multiple. (laughs) Yeah. More than one. Buffalo Bill. You know how they're like, oh, he's like. Ed Gein. Ed Gein and Ted Bundy Uh and all that. Well, he's also Gary. Ooh. Like legit because of like keeping the women in the hole. You know how he would like oh, pass, yeah. the bas- pass them the basket and all that stuff. So part of Buffalo Bill is fashioned after Gary. That's not the word I want to use. Was Based it? on? Yeah, but that's the word. That's well, a complex word. But yeah, <laughs> so Buffalo Bill is based on. Wow. I know. I And I didn't know that. Me either. I mean, we know. We had heard that he was like, okay, Ted Bundy, because he pretended to have his arm in a mm-hmm. sling or whatever, you know, when he was trying to get the um, couch in the van yeah. when he kidnapped the doctor from Grey's Anatomy. And then, um, yes, Ed Gein with like the starving them so that he can use their skin. Yeah. Isn't that crazy, though? I had yeah. no idea. Why are you stepping into my pond? <laughs> what? Horror movie. That's a psychological thriller. Oh, God bless. <laughs> I'm like, it's literally based off of a killer. What do you mean it's your movie? Your pond, I mean. A lot of mine are. You have to have bad people to have ghosts. Oh. Who's the one that talked about it on the panel? I know. Well, speaking of your panel, this is a Haunted Bridge story that I got from Amanda, who was on your panel from the Seriously Sinister podcast. What the fuck? How did we do that transition? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, when she mentioned it, of course, I perked up because y'all know I love a haunted bridge story. But first, about the bridge. It's called Rocky Ford Bridge and is in Emporia, Kansas. It's located near Road P and Road 140 and is about five miles southeast of Emporia. In 1907, it was voted by the city to build a bridge over Cottonwood River and it got its name, the bridge's name, from a nearby neighborhood called Rocky Ford. Okay, I went straight to Build-A-Bear and Rocky Horror. <laughs> okay. Because you said Build-A-Bridge. Yeah. And then whatever else you said. I mean, we got it. We got where you got it from. Well, you know, sometimes I have to explain my brain. That made sense. You saying that watermelon tasted staticky. It did. And then just, I'm like, oh, like it has like a bite to it or something? No, I just no, said it has not, a bite. Not at all that. It was mushy. But, like, not just mushy. It was, like, like I can only sh- tell you by the way I have moved my hand. I get that. It's, like. Like, tacky? No. It was staticky. Oh, my God. I don't understand. Somebody will understand. I guarantee. 
put it into better words, because that's all I've gotten out of Carrie for like a month. And me and Colby still are like, does that taste staticky? <laughs> they but, don't understand the static. Well, because it doesn't make sense to me, because like I said, it would have like a bite. It would be like almost like Pop Rocks. Mm-mm. That's staticky. Mm-mm. That's poppy. Oh, my God. You and your words, man, get a blog, review the food. Oh, okay. Well, back to the bridge. It cost 6000 when it was constructed, and it was fashioned after the Pratt Trust Bridges, and that's just like the architecture of it. $6,000? Yeah. That's like, I wonder what in today money. I, girl, I don't know. You said 1906? Oh, 1907. So just picture an ordinary steel and concrete bridge. You probably have one in your town. We have one here in Hattiesburg. We actually have a few. It's a metal bridge that's open. It's not covered. Like, seriously, everyone has one. Yeah. Um, Also, uh, while you were telling that part, I did the Goog. And that's about $175,000 today. So not that much for a bridge. Not that much, but it's also short and small. Okay. So it's not over. Like, it's not one of those that had to be so long and have all this stuff it's a simple bridge and that's what i'm saying like you have those simple bridges in your town for sure today it's not in the excellent condition it once was but they are in talks of making it a local historical site last i could find they were going to vote on it but they were unsure because it would take a lot to improve it to the specifications and safety they would need it to be at But something else about the bridge is that it has another name. Most locals call it Bird Bridge, and I'm about to tell you why. Picture it. July 17th, 1983 in Emporia, Kansas. It was a normal, sunny summer morning that day in July, and so, of course, most were already up and outside to enjoy every moment of it. There were a few hikers that saw something in the water of Cottonwood River, And when they got a closer look, it was a car that was partially submerged. And then there was this body floating in the water next to that car. It didn't take police long to figure out who the body was and that the car belonged to them. The body was of Sandy Bird. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about the birds. Sandy and Tom were married and had three children. They were originally from Arkansas, but had recently moved to Kansas. Tom was a minister, and he was tasked to head up a local Lutheran church. Sandy was a math teacher at a local university, where she was also working on a second master's degree in computer math as well. Tom was well-versed in scripture and also held two master's degrees in theology. So they they really were career-driven. You know, they worked really hard for where they were in their life. And as smart as Tom was, he had the charm and the personality to welcome people into the congregation with such ease. They were both 32 years old, and Sandy was just as outgoing and charming as her hubby Tom. Golly, they were so accomplished with their degrees, and they were so young. Yes, I know. I was like, well... There goes that. Like, And they're probably so great they have, like, no student loans. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, they were both super busy with their careers. And when they were at home, the three children were their focus. So their marriage suffered. Sandy had entrusted her friends with the knowledge of Tom disapproving of her career. 
And she even told them that she believed he didn't love her anymore. (gasps) But she didn't let that hold her back from pursuing her dreams. And she was even promoted after they had that fight about her career. And she was just kind of like, well, you have your job. I have mine. Yeah, because, of course, she needs to stay at home with the kids. Uh And she needs to do all of this while he gets to go live his fucking best life. Do whatever the fuck he wants to. But she can't have the career. Only he can. Fuck that bullshit. Right. Yeah. I mean, she basically was like, we both can have careers that fulfill us. Well, the promotion was that she was going to have more classes to teach next semester. But that night, Tom seemed to come around and wanted to celebrate the promotion. They got a babysitter and went out. And that would be the last time Sandy was seen alive. As I said, she was found floating in the river. But if her and Tom were together, where was he? When Tom was questioned, he informed them that they had had a drink at the church that he worked at. And that's when they went their separate ways. He was going to work on his sermon for the next day, which usually meant he was going jogging and to clear his head. Sandy was going to go to her office, pick some stuff up, and get ahead for the upcoming week. Sandy was going to swing back by, pick Tom up in a bit, and they would both head home together. But Sandy never showed, so Tom called and reported her missing. And that's why this also didn't take them long to figure out who the body was. And it was a smaller town, you know, so... All of that led to a quick identification. Sandy's death was ruled an accident. They believe that she ran off the gravel road because she took a corner too quickly, thus resulting in her running off the bridge and into the river. Have I been watching too many crime things? Because I kind of think he did it. <laughs> no, you're, you've not been watching too many crime things. And of course he did it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, the husband always did it. There's shirts about it. Well, I'm just like, oh, he's had this problem with her career this whole time. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, I'm so happy with your promotion. Uh Oh, wait, let's just actually have a drink. Let's not actually go out, even though we got a babysitter. No, well, they did go out. But they just had a drink at the thing? No, they did go out. Then they got back home. She ran in, got a bottle of something. Then they went to the church, had like a little drink. She left him there and all of that. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, they did go out, but like, you know, like to dinner or whatever, but still. Also, it's like, y'all gonna have a drink at church? Well, they're not Baptist. Oh, true. See, that's what I grew up as. Yeah, like basically every other denomination of Christianity is cool with it, just Baptist. <laughs> I mean, I'm cool with it because I'm not really Baptist, but that's just what's been ingrained in yeah. me. Yeah. Like, yeah. you don't wear a hat in church, you, you know, like... Unless you're a woman and it's Easter Sunday, then you better be coming with your best. Well, like you, there were, of course, unanswered questions, but for the most part, that's what the story was accepted by most locals. Because who could have done it? Why would anything have happened to her? Because Tom was a beloved minister. He had really made that church something. They had daycare. They had, like softball teams, you know, like the, everyone had gotten hooked on that church. Until four months later, something happened that made everyone give Sandy Bird's death another look. Marty Anderson was shot and died from his wounds. What had happened is that he answered pleading shout outs from his wife, Lorna, who had been riding around with him and their children. They had four children and they were just riding around out in the country. Now, it was darker, 
But, and that's not uncommon to do. Like, but we would do it during the day because you see all the like cows and all of that. You know, you see the scenery at night. It's not something I would say as a family to do. It's more like I got to clear my head. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go for an, like a nightly drive. But whatever, that's what they were doing. Well, she suddenly felt ill and they had to stop so she can go throw up in a field nearby, but was still kind of far off because no one wants to hear you up, Chuck. So, especially not you. And you could have been <laughs> over the hills and through the woods and I would have still fucking heard you. Yes, I could have been back in Arkansas and you would have been like, damn, yep, that's Donna. I can't help it. I'm loud. All, all sounds I make loud. Well, in all that chaos, she somehow lost her keys, which I don't understand why she took the keys, but whatever. Maybe she just had a second set and she was like, oh my God, I lost them and whatever. But she was able to call out for Marty. He came, like left the kids in the car, like stay here. And he was out there helping her search for the missing keys. When a masked man approached and fired off two shots and killed Marty. This was obviously a homicide and just something didn't add up. Why was Lorna left alive if it was a rando murder spree? Or how did the masked shooter just happen upon them in the first place? Because again, they're out in the middle of nowhere, just riding around at night, and this happened. The writing is on the fucking wall with this story. Yes. It didn't take long to suss out that this was a murder for hire. Lorna and Marty's marriage woes were well known throughout the town. Tom and Sandy's were not. Those were just something that she told her her closest friends. Because again, she had a reputation to be that preacher's wife. He was this beloved pillar of the community. So it wasn't as well known as Lorna and Marty's. And so it honestly really didn't shock anyone that Lorna had paid a local contractor who she had been having relations with. Having relations with? I'm (laughs) sorry. Are you 85 years old? Well, it was, yeah, you know. She paid him 5K to kill Marty. Lorna was known to sleep around, and she had even joked about having one of them kill her husband. But this was before she actually did, you know, that exact thing. So that's why I said it didn't really come as a surprise when this came out because everyone was like, well, I mean, the joke's on us that she had made that a joke, but uh, she did it. So why does all this matter? It matters because Lorna worked for Tom Bird at the church as a part-time secretary. Legitimately, earlier you said something and I was going to be like, yeah, of course he doesn't care because he's having sex with a secretary. (laughs) I know. It's so cliche. There, she laid out all her woes, and Tom was supportive, and soon they began to have more than just an emotional affair. It turned physical. Lorna was later interviewed, and in an article with the Los Angeles Times, she said, He told me that I was not what he needed in a wife, but that he could make me into what he needed. That's disgusting. Yes. Yes. Well, you couldn't make your first wife into what you wanted, Mm -hmm. so probably not going to happen. Although, don't fucking get into any relationship expecting to change someone. People are who they fucking are, and they're not going to change because you want them to. Yep. Well, that year, Lorna pleaded guilty, and Tom was convicted of solicitation. I don't know why. It just said solicitation. 
it didn't ever really go into it. But because of Tom's affair and shit, they exhumed Sandy Bird's body. And it showed that she had been hit on the head with a blunt object. And she had some defensive wounds that would have happened from her trying to, you know. Defend herself. Yeah, from being hit with a blunt object. But it seemed that she did die when her body fell into the river. Later, Tom was charged with the murder of his wife, Sandy, found guilty, and received a life sentence. Some of the factors of this case was that he had called the police before midnight saying that his wife was missing. And then the babysitter, when she was interviewed, said that she received a call from Tom after midnight asking if Sandy ever came home. So police were like, why would you not call the babysitter first to see if your wife was home before you called us to tell us that she was missing. And also remember the jogging. So he would have some like gym clothes basically to jog in. Well, when he arrived home from the church, he was still in his clothes from that night, complete with his tie still on. So if he went for a jog, like he mentioned he did, why would he have changed back into his clothes to go home? Right. Good. Cause you're all fucking sweaty. Mm hmm. So the police said that he probably jogged from the bridge where he had killed Sandy, changed back into his clothes because his, like, gym clothes were all dirty and soiled with blood. Also, John Rule, who was a highway patrol trooper, he discovered Sandy's watch under the bridge. Well, there is some blood on it, but he was dismissed because everyone was like, who would want to kill her and her husband's a preacher? Small town logic, you know, like, nothing's wrong here. This was a complete accident. Yeah, he certainly couldn't have done it because he's a preacher. He's a man of God. Mm-hmm. But John was like, okay, whatever. But also, there were no skid marks or anything on the bridge. So she did take it too fast. At, you know, the corner and then all of that, there were no marks of... Holy shit, she lost control, tried to regain it, anything like that. It Nothing was there. But everyone was like, you're barking up the wrong tree. He also didn't get anyone to understand why he was curious about the car seat being pushed all the way back, and Sandy was only 5'1". What in the son-in-law was going on? That shit gets yes, you every fucking time. every time. That, girl, that is exactly what I thought about son-in-law. But also, her friend said that she always had worn her seatbelt, but her body was flung from the car. So why would she not wear it on this particular night? Unless it really was just like the wrong time, wrong place, a split decision, which can happen. But what are the odds, really? For all of this to line up, and oh yeah, she didn't wear her seatbelt this one time. So even though he was found guilty... Tom still proclaims he's innocent and that Sandy must have been depressed or just careless that night. He said he doesn't believe that she would die by suicide, but just careless and like having a lot on her mind and, oh, she lost control and that's when she died. But basically, it was lovers who wanted to be together and they killed their spouses to do so. And Tom, in the Los Angeles Times article, they interviewed him, and of course, he downplayed everything that it was just emotional. He was there for Lorna, and yes, it did get unprofessional. Gross. Uh-huh. Only three or four times, so. Gross. Mm-hmm. I'm like, 
Oh, that accident you just kept making, huh? Like, oh, God. What? You accidentally slipped and your dick fell inside of her? That's right? not how this fucking works. <laughs> how unprofessional of you. Mm-hmm. But, of course, kind of made it seem that Lorna was this... Pushing and... Uh-huh. Like, unemotional... I mean... Emotional wreck. Yes. Of course it's her fault. Mm-hmm. And, like, she pursued me, and what was I to do? Like, um... Don't you tell people all the time to make the right decision? Yes, make the right decisions. Don't be sinful. Control your urges. All these things. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, practice what you preach, buddy. Yeah. But okay. We all know that I said a haunted bridge story. So in the years after Sandy's death and Tom's conviction, people said that they heard screams coming from the bridge and that they would also hear footsteps. And they contribute that to Sandy Bird. Some even said that they've seen her spirit walking up from the water to the shore. A person named Cassie wrote a comment on hauntedplaces.org. Every time that she had went out there, she's heard screaming and also saw some strange lights. She said that there's just a negative vibe on the bridge. And a person named Kelly replied and said that she's currently a high school student, and that was in 2019, and that it's still a place where teens go to scare each other. And, like, one of the things is that they'll park on one side of the bridge, turn off all the lights, and make the other person or both of them walk in pure darkness to the other side of the bridge to see if they can hear the screams, the footsteps walking along beside them, anything like that. And that is terrifying to me. Uh, walking on a bridge in pitch black dark, period. Oh, Haunted for sure. or not is fucking terrifying. One little slip of footing and a sprained ankle and you're donezo. Right? Uh-uh. Y'all know I don't like dark water. You know I got bad ankles. <laughs> Faith also commented on hauntedplaces.org and she said that she and a friend were out at the bridge doing a little seance as you do. No, as they do. Not <laughs> yeah. I do. They do. And she asked Sandy to speak to them. And all of a sudden, she felt a cold chill go through her body. And she said it was as if Sandy had walked through her body. She actually fell or fainted a little bit, but her friend called her before she just collapsed. She said that they had been out there before, but this was the only time that they had experienced anything like this. Beforehand, it was only friendly touches, you know, just like a brush, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, could that have been something or, you know, whatever. But when they asked Sandy to speak with them, did they have that experience? And even then, that didn't seem super negative, but it was still just like more than before and whatever. A-N-A-M, paranormal, anom, I guess, they did an investigation at the bridge and they did agree that the energy there... It is there, and there's a feeling of dread. They didn't hear any screaming, though, but there were fluctuations of the EMF reader all the way up and down the bridge. But the temps pretty much stayed neutral the whole time. They have a psychic on their team, and what they felt was a spirit of an indigenous man. And then on another part of the bridge, something that had evil intentions. They said that the evil intention spirit seems to love to scare people, and it also feeds into the negative energy of the people who go out there looking for Sandy Bird's ghost. But they could not find or 
confirm that it was Sandy. It's not like they got EVPs or anything like that where it's like, oh, she answered. Nothing like that. But that there is something there. And that's what I have for Birdbridge. It just reminded me that even like the simplest haunted story, this bridge that kids, you know, go and prank each other on and stuff, it usually comes from really horrific true life events. Yep. She was just living her best life, celebrating the fact that she had gotten this promotion that she had worked so hard for. And her husband, who should be her place of comfort and mm-hmm. and who she goes to with excitement and news, good or bad, and everything in between. And he pretended to be celebrating with her mm-hmm. all the while, had all this malintent to kill her. Yeah. Just because he didn't want to divorce her? Oh, because it because it's not just about the divorce. It's about his standing in the community and he's this Lutheran preacher and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's about way more than just, oh, I don't want to get a divorce. Right. It's because he would rather play the victim and play the brokenhearted widower, not the preacher who got divorced. Right. Because it didn't fit his agenda and his story. Very true. Because it did seem like he kind of leaned toward the televangelist type of like oh personality God. and stuff, you know? So, I mean, that makes sense. Like the literal worst. Yeah. <laughs> like if that's what he wanted in like further in life, that was his goal. That definitely would have hindered some of his opportunities like you just mentioned. But also I use this as a time to say, if you do have any haunted bridge stories that are local to you, write in for Sinister Sightings because I love them. You do love a haunted bridge story. I do. I think it's because bridges scare me anyway. Yeah. And so it's always just like that. It could be broad daylight, beautiful day. And it's like, I was on the Golden Gate Bridge and it's really pretty. But then it's like, oh, it's a bridge over water. And e like, oh, no, it's just scary. I would not want to be on a bridge. I do want us to do, I saw this on a TikTok and I've sent this to Donna and she's like, okay. So for once, uh, I had to like give her something and she's got to do it that she doesn't really want to do. So yay. Cause it's always the other way around. I'm confused. I don't even remember. So what these girls did was they went to a, an abandoned bridge and had like fish and wire, whatever that's called oh. with like a big magnet at the bottom of, you know, like where the hook would be like a big magnet. And like you throw it over the bridge and like, you just pull up treasure. Like you just pull up to see whatever you get. Trash. Yeah, but it's still fun. Like a it dead could be, body. You're not okay. It's not going to be magnetized. It's then to get the vaccine. A fish. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Get the fuck a vaccine. Yes. We both have. We are not. We're pro vaccine. Yay. Yay. But that would be so much fun. It's like everything that you hate and love. You'd be. It'd be hilarious because one, you'd be terrified. I would be terrified. And t- I mean, terrified. I would be too, honestly, because. I have a thing with heights, but not like a, oh my God, I can't look down with heights. No, I can't look up. I look up and it makes my stomach drop. I could literally be on a fucking curb and look up and it makes my stomach drop. So it's all the things that make us scared and treasure and a bridge that you fucking love. We may catch a car. We may get a car. We may pull what's his name's car out of the lake. What's his name from? Oh, Frank Frank Bennett. Frank Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, who's... Oh, 
every time I do see a fucking old car, one looked like it had just been pulled out of the fucking river. It was all rusted and stuff. And I was like, oh, they found Frank Bennett's car. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Every time. If y'all don't know, that is Fried Green Tomatoes, an amazing movie. And true crime. Yeah. There is crime in there. So mine wasn't as bad as yours. You know what I mean? It's still bad. It's still death. But not not as heavy as yours. No, but I really liked it. I'm glad. I'm glad. Wasn't a lot of paranormal I could find on it. I think just because it's so local. Right. I'm sure if you went there, people would have oh, for sure. tons of stories. For sure. But the people in, in Pora, Kansas, they're not putting it on Reddit. Well, what the hell? <laughs> well, hopefully y'all enjoyed this episode as much as you can enjoy some of these stories that we've been telling lately. We really do appreciate all of your support. Uh, don't forget, even if you can't join Patreon, which we completely understand, you can always support us through other ways. Following us on social media at the APC podcast on Instagram, Twitter, follow us on YouTube and join the Facebook group. And don't forget to like, subscribe, review all the things. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.